0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Ship It and Sip It. I'm here today with a new guest from the United States, Trevor Newberry. He is the Director of Product Delivery at Harmony Venture Labs, who we've been working with over the last year plus, it seems like, on launching new startups. Trevor, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing really well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so along with your position at Harmony Venture Labs, you're also the co-founder of AppThink, and we'll get into that later on the show, but today we're gonna talk about building and launching startups and MVPs quickly because that's what Harmony Venture Labs does. Also, yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Also the local startup community and building that up, which is really interesting and I'm looking forward to getting into that. And also founder training, which it seems like AppThink is focused on giving founders the skills they need to start their own startups. Yep. I'm excited for the show let's dive in so uh tell us a little bit about your journey i guess let's start there with your journey to harmony venture labs and what do you really love about your job there
1: sure so um we were just like pre pre-roll we were we we're just discussing this but um a pretty unconventional background i worked in hospitality food and beverage for about a decade um <clears throat> like we were talking about I certainly didn't do anything for my resume but it is an industry that is pretty brutal from a business uh, standpoint um whether it's uh employee retention and training uh managing highly perishable supplies um sub 10% margins in most cases uh being able to do that successfully is just really really hard so i spent uh, a decade um working as a chef, as a bartender, managing restaurants, running my own catering companies. I actually did some consulting uh, helping companies hire and train their kitchen staff because that was an area that I uh, identified that was really critical to the the business operations that often got ignored. Um, uh, In late 2016, early 2017, I started my uh, consulting company, uh, Newberry Consulting, very creatively named. Um, and I was originally focused on food and beverage uh, because it was the industry that I knew, but I was very interested in technology. I could tell that that's where a lot of the movement was in the business world. Um, and I was fortunate through the work that I had done previously, that I had connections with people that ran development shops that were startup founders themselves. And so I would just take people to coffee and and buy lunch, buy coffee and, and pick their brains and say, how do I, how do I get into this? What do I, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? Um, and settled on product management as a path that really resonated with me. It really it matched with a lot of my skill sets and my interests. Uh, so I taught myself and was very fortunate that I was able to convince some unsuspecting clients to let me do product management for their startups on a contract basis. And um, got a lot of real world experience and uh, flash forward to... Gosh, it was late 2020, early 2021. Um, I got a call from actually a buddy of mine, Hunter Strickler, who had started working with Shagan as Shagan was starting Harmony Venture Labs. And so I think you're perfect for this role. Hope you'll consider it. And I played coy for a little bit, but of course, you know, back of my head, it was like, yeah, that's perfect, let's do it. So um, that's the short version of how I ended up at HVL.
0: Yeah. Awesome, and you mentioned Shagan there. Just quick plug—he uh, has a yeah. great Substack um, um, yep. that he started recently. So go check that out. It's called um, "Let's Build," right?
1: Let's build. Yeah.
0: Right. So yeah. you can read all about Shagan. He shares his background there as well. So for anybody that doesn't know, uh, just fill yep. them in on that. All right. So Harmony Venture Labs yeah. really came out of the gates in 2022 just launching products, uh, yep. doing what it was built to do. So there's Coelho, uh, App <clears throat> AppThink as well, and maybe mm-hmm. I'm missing one or two. Got one
1: more in the hopper right now with Parallact, and then one more that we're just noodling around now. We're doing the earliest discovery on it
0: now. Super, so there. it seems like about one per quarter is sort of the cadence.
1: That's... Yeah. I mean, if you want to put it on a calendar, yeah, that's about how it works. Honestly, it, it's just when we feel confident enough to build something. It's a big investment, so we want to make sure we're confident.
0: Yeah. 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 And I want to get into some of the factors and how you sort of quantify that confidence a yeah. little bit later. But um, yeah, just uh, give us an overview of Harmony Venture Labs. I guess we've already touched on what yeah. it does, but from your perspective.
1: Yeah, I think the way you've described it is probably the easiest way to understand it. Uh, But Harmony Venture Labs is a venture studio um, and a lot of people don't know what that means, especially in the the world of startups and technology. But the way I I like to describe it is, you know, traditionally you have um, startups and then you have funding partners. Most people know the term venture capital, angel investors, blah, blah, blah. There's there's about a hundred different ways to, to skin that cat. Um, but they're always doing this weird, awkward sort of like dating dance, right? Where like startups are trying to find funding uh, to expand their runway. Uh, people with money are looking for ways to deploy that capital in hopes of a return. Um, but it can be kind of a long and drawn out process and a little arduous. So what the Venture Studio model says is that's really inefficient. Uh, we're actually going to bring a balance sheet to the table, whether it's by raising a fund or an individual with a lot of money, it's seen it done in a bunch of different ways um we're going to hire the talent in-house we're going to come up with the ideas we're going to build the startups and we're going to launch them ourselves so we're, we're going to take care of all of that we'll do the early funding we'll help connect people for uh follow-on funding rounds um it really uh turns the startup process into as close as you can into kind of an assembly line right so it, it tries to treat this process as some more of a science and less of an art although you can never really separate the two of those. But yeah, that's what uh, Harmony Venture Labs does. We build B2B SaaS startups. That's our focus,
0: yeah. Cool, and you guys are all mostly, I guess, based in Birmingham, Alabama, which I think I can say most people wouldn't think of as a tech startup ecosystem. (laughs) I was in Birmingham once about, geez, it must be seven or eight years ago now, uh, working with a nonprofit doing some house rebuilding after a bad tornado. I was on the outs- mm-hmm. outskirts of Birmingham. Uh, yep. I forget exactly where. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I forget exactly where. But that's yep. my only experience in Birmingham. Uh, so tell us about the startup scene there and I guess yep. the yep. local community that Harmony Venture Labs is trying to build or is building.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. That's part of the mission with Harmony Venture Labs is to build that uh, ecosystem. It's a, it's a fledgling ecosystem right now. We have had some success um so obviously like therapy brands which was Shagen's former company um <clears throat> we've had ships we've got landing um but really like when we talk about those big hits uh it's a handful of people there's you know maybe three or four people that have really struck out and, and found some success which is just not enough to really build that ecosystem right like when you think about the valley i mean it's just like you can't throw a rock without hitting you know a a successful or somewhat known uh startup founder right um you really need a density of uh entrepreneurs of leaders in this community but also of uh individual contributors so like there's a a a real problem with finding like product designers and product managers and engineers are bleeding out everywhere you guys know that Um, so part of the mission for hvl is not just to build companies but it's also to build that ecosystem here in birmingham so i guess the short answer to that is it is a it's a burgeoning ecosystem we've had some successes we've got some central areas where people kind of congregate and share their experiences and their stories but it's not quite where it needs to be. And so our hope is to to contribute to building companies that are headquartered in Birmingham that can attract talent um, from a financial perspective. When we have big successes, if we can manage a handful of, of good exits that just brings capital back into the city, especially like being located here. Typically we find that like successful founders that have had that kind of exit they go on to fund the other startups, right? They, it's a virtuous cycle. And so what we're trying to do outside of just building the startups and obviously looking for that return on the investment is also building that ecosystem here. So I hope that answers that question.
0: Yeah, and maybe uh, you could share a little bit, like what are, the, what are some of the pluses of, of building that there? I mean, from an outside perspective, maybe somebody would think that it makes more sense just to move it all to Atlanta or a bigger city to, to make it happen
1: like there are some really, really powerful uh, ecosystems around us. Like Nashville is doing great. Um, You mentioned Atlanta is doing great. Obviously, Miami is doing great. Um, All within, you know, several hours of either driving or flying. Um, Obviously, like you go out to Austin, that's doing great. Um, Here's the thing, though, like moving to Birmingham, Alabama is a weird state. So um, there's a lot of things that, you know, on a personal level are wrong with Alabama. Um, but one of the great things about it is that it's a very business-friendly state, right? Um, It's a lot easier to start and run a company here. Uh, The cost of living is super, super low. Um, So you go to any of the cities that I just mentioned and you'll double, if not triple, the cost of just like having a home, a roof over your head and groceries and eating out. Um, It's also, I I mentioned the proximity to these other ecosystems, which I think is key. Um, Within two or three hours, I can get to a startup night in Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> I also have an international airport here, so I don't have to stand in three hours of security. If I want to fly to, uh, if I want to fly to Poland and visit the Parallet crew, uh, I can stand in security for 20 minutes and catch a connecting flight in Atlanta, and like I'm good to go. So there's a lot of really big pluses to like living in Birmingham and in Alabama. Um, and I think when we talk about startups, um, outside of the the technicalities of starting and founding and um funding businesses here um it makes it takes a lot of the pressure off of a founder that comes with living in the valley right the just the sheer cost the complexity the difficulty of like logistics moving around Um, so i think people sleep on places like birmingham but honestly it's a it's strategically a great place to be if you want to really reduce the outside expenses and make life a little bit easier on you while you're really doing the extremely hard work of building a startup.
0: Right, yeah, and I totally agree. Um, I've always been a big fan of like medium-sized U.S. cities just for living um, because I don't know why. I don't like big cities in the U.S. I really I like uh, European cities that are, can yeah. be bigger. It's fine because mm-hmm. they're more compact. Uh, but then in the yep. States, I really tend towards the medium-sized ones. So uh, check out Birmingham, everybody, if you haven't yet. Yeah,
1: Birmingham's cool.
0: All right, so uh, before we get too far in, I want to give you the chance to share any opportunities that Harmony Venture Labs has. I know there's the the cohort course in AppThink, and also Mm -hmm. I was reading about the Entrepreneur in Residence program. Can you you share a little bit about those two opportunities? And are you looking mostly for founders? Are you looking for people across the team?
1: Yeah, it's so that's a complicated question because, you know, we have to build our own HVL team and then we have to build the teams of the companies that we're building. So there's lots of opportunities in that regard. We actually try to keep the HVL team intentionally small, right, because we want most of our resources to go to the companies. That said, you know, you just mentioned our first three launches uh, this year and we're Finally, starting to see some traction with those companies, right? So, those companies are now looking for people like designers. Um, they're looking for people like product folks, marketers. Um, <clears throat> really, uh, there, there's going to be a lot more opportunities as we build and launch these things. Um, AppThink was interesting um, as a strategic acquisition. It's the only portfolio company that's not a B2B SaaS product, it's an education product. Um, but it goes hand in hand with the mission of uh, wanting to help build the ecosystem not just here in Birmingham but to contribute you know more uh, nationwide and even globally um, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about App Pink later but yeah the next cohort I believe is coming up uh, first of the year right so we're taking the rest of this quarter off we're going to rework some of our content um, but we've had two cohorts so far that have gone really really well and it really the foundations course which is the first course really walks founders through just the very earliest things that they need to be doing to find an idea, validate an idea and start testing it in the market. Um, <clears throat> and again, I won't go too far in depth there, but I think uh, the idea of starting a, a startup, especially technology is really intimidating and can be really capital intensive and not everybody has that kind of money. Um, and what we try to teach people is like, you don't have to have, Uh, you don't have to have a million dollars in the bank to, to build a startup. There are things that you can do that cost very little outside of like your time and energy, um, to help you get started. So that's, that's what we try to teach there. So that's definitely an opportunity as well.
0: Awesome. And just to round out, uh, talking about your experience a little bit more, you've worked both on established products and also started several now from day zero. Uh, yeah. From your product perspective, what is what are the high level differences and which is more rewarding and interesting for you?
1: Well, for me personally, it's the zero to one. I mean, that's what I specialize in. Uh, <clears throat> Shagan jokingly calls me a glutton for punishment. It's the hardest. Uh, it, it, well, maybe not the hardest. If they, it's really relative to the stage, but there's a lot, let's put it this way. There's a lot of ambiguity, right? There's a lot of unknowns. I actually describe uh, one easy way I I used to describe the um, zero to one process is like you start with a big pile of unknowns and you're trying to turn those into knowns, right? Um, So lots and lots of unknowns, lots of ambiguity, lots of soul searching, lots of like running into brick walls with ideas, with messaging and positioning and can't get anybody to try your demo. And oh my gosh, it just goes on and on and on. But what I love about it is that it's an inherently creative process, right? um it becomes a it's a less less um heavily uh metric driven process and more uh, at least in the earliest stages it's a more qualitative process where you're really getting to know people you're getting close to those users and really looking for the problems um or the opportunities to solve for them so i i i am just uh, i've always been in love with that whole process now as you scale a company Scale brings its own challenges, right? You need to then really double down on process, right? Because things start to break if you don't have processes in place um but creativity starts to become a little bit less important um and having processes for scaling becomes a little bit more important now you definitely do more uh, experimentation you're leaning harder on metrics product analytics to make decisions um so that's not to knock it and I certainly enjoy that that phase of any business life cycle as well but I just personally really love the zero to one stuff um but it is really really hard
0: yeah all right well you've outlined a lot of your thoughts and your experiences with the zero to one problem in two really good blog posts. One was about cold starts and the other was about idea validation. Um, So let's go behind the scenes with HVL a little bit. Uh, How does it work? I guess in terms of selecting startup ideas, is there a backlog of problems that you guys have sort of discussed or brainstormed or brought to the table yourselves that you just sort of prioritize? How does it work?
1: yeah well the first just like to caveat this like you have to remember we're a startup still right um <clears throat> and we're still figuring out our own processes we have some that we've refined from the very beginning um but we're constantly trying to make those better um but yeah so we focused a lot in the first year or so and still are drilling down on this uh, with internal ideation like how do we get better at coming up with ideas as a team um <clears throat> and that's a skill set uh, and we've done actually through AppThink, we've done a couple of workshops around this, um, but this is a fun one for me to teach because people uh, generally think of ideation as like, I'm taking a shower and like a lightning bolt hits me, right? <clears throat> and I've got the next Uber, right? Uh, and it doesn't really work that way. Um, it, the way that it works is is a lot less sexy, but a lot more uh, predictable, right? Um, so providing the right target is really, really important. So I work directly with a venture analyst um, on my team to research uh, potential problem areas. He spends most of his day just researching, um, <clears throat> looking for areas, looking for trends, um, looking for problems. He brings them to me. He'll do a write-up and I, we discuss these things and I say, you know, go, go look for more information here. But sometimes we've got one that really is interesting. And then we go through a couple of rituals. We use a couple of different types of rituals for ideation as a team. Um, we do that at the individual level, we do that at the department level, and we also do that at the entire team level. Um, but the key things to remember about um, coming up with ideas and how we get our backlog um, going is that you need a lot of ideas because most ideas are very bad. Um, most ideas at the very beginning are terrible, and I think the faster people get come to terms with that, the, It can be a little bit hard to accept, but um, what you see though is that when you generate a large volume of ideas, you start to see threads that you can pull on, right? Like, hey, this idea is mostly terrible, but this is an interesting concept, right? And so by the time we end up through a validation process and building any product, it almost invariably looks nothing like the original idea. That's why we call them seed ideas, right? We're just gonna use this to grow a product, right? We're gonna grow the product idea around this. Um, but it almost invariably changes to an extent that it looks like nothing like the original idea. But what we need is that like that thread, that little seed of, hey, that's interesting. Let's drill down on that. Let's see what's there. Um, and then we start a process of uh, market research, market sizing, do a lot of qualitative validation in the early days. So uh, discovery interviews, documenting opportunities that exist. Building the personas, you know, the personas are a whole other uh, can of worms, and we're actually learning a lot about that, um, at, you know, right now. Um, most of our team is is new to the B two B space, right? So we're kind of teaching how this like it's not just the end user. There's also a buyer. There's usually a champion at the business. We have to consider all of those people. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we do have a backlog of ideas, um, but they go through a pretty rigorous process, and we we try to index for more ideas as opposed to like the highest quality ideas out of the gate, because we know if we get enough, we're probably going to find some stuff that we can really get excited about there.
0: Right. That makes sense. And I guess as a venture studio, is there a path for uh, potential founders to, to come to you and say, hi guys, I, I have this burning idea that I want to solve yeah. that I want to build. Uh, is that one, one route that people can. Yeah, to? it is.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, and actually, that's so for the first year, we really focused on our own ideas, right? Our own ideation process and, and our own ideas. But one of the, the constraints that we run into is that we can only be subject matter experts on so many things, right? Um, our team is like 15, 16 people. Um, and honestly, like when we start talking about like ESG or like patent uh, law, trademark law. And like n- everyone on the team is like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know where to start there, right? Um, so one thing that we've started to experiment with is actually bringing uh, entrepreneurs in before we actually have a product. So we do, we'll do. we talk a little bit more about the EIR program, but bringing them in and saying, look, we have been watching you. We've seen the decisions that you've made. We really have a lot of confidence you as an entrepreneur and we'd love to build something with you, but we want you to help us with this ideation process. You can be the subject matter expert. We'll bring our resources to bear to help with the discovery process. And then hopefully over usually a a month to two months, hopefully we can find an idea that we all feel like, hey, there's something here and we'd like to take a stab at building this together. And that person actually ends up in the driver's seat of that product if we end up uh, building that. So,
0: yeah. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's dig in mm-hmm. a little bit with one of the startups that launched this year. Uh, I wanted to talk about Coelho. Co- 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 uh, mm-hmm. Can you just give us like uh, the, the three-minute summary of what Coelho is? Yep. So, oh gosh,
1: Coelho. Coelho was number one, right? We made all of our mistakes with Coelho. We're continuing to make mistakes, but they're they're fewer and finer mistakes now. Um <clears throat> Coelho was uh, definitely a labor of love and and big, big shout out to Parallac for putting up with us as we were figuring out our own processes going through that. But um, Coelho started um, from a trend that we saw in the market towards uh, shared health and wellness spaces, actually. So the idea was that if you are a massage therapist or a chiropractor, you may not have the client base to start just building your own or buy your own building, Right. Um, But you may want to buy a building and say, I'm going to occupy an office over here, but I have a couple of chiropractor buddies and I'm going to rent the rest of the space to them. We can basically create a co-working space for the health and wellness industry. Um, We got into that and found it wasn't quite uh, the size of the market that we were hoping that it would be. But the discovery through the qualitative process and doing our own research we found that honestly there's a lot of opportunities in the co-working space in general and that's really what we've pivoted that over to is, is serving the larger co-working space um, the tools that are used to run those businesses are pretty complex because you have uh, not just your your typical line of business software like you would um, i don't know like your project management software right <clears throat> um, What you have is like the the owner of the space needs a way to manage their members and their space and all of the uh, accumulated things that they sell and rent and book, but then there's also a member and the member of that space has to interact with that space as well. Um, So there's a need for um, tools that do that really, really well. And most of them on the market that we found don't do it very well. Um, Now, I'm sure like the larger companies like WeWork, they build their own. They roll their own. They've got enough money. They've got enough uh, resources to roll their own. But a lot of these like mom and pop startups where they buy a... a defunct office building or a floor of an office building and say, I'm gonna break this into offices. Um, I need a place to work, but I wanna rent this to other people. There's really not a lot of great options out there. So most of the work that we've done on Coelho has been moving that in the direction of serving these uh, startup to mid-sized co-working spaces, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I was a little bit surprised sort of watching from the outside when, when the pivot towards co-working happened. Because it Mm -hmm. it was basically right after WeWork imploded. (laughs) I was like, what are these guys doing? They're going into this space too. Uh, So uh, was there any apprehension about that? Or you guys just figured out that there was a smaller, sort of what you mentioned, a smaller niche that was overlooked?
1: Man, this is a whole, we could do a whole podcast on this. Um, But uh, the, the WeWork, Thing was not a problem with coworking. It was it was a business management problem. Um, <clears throat> it was just gross and gnarly, and we can get way into that. But um, the trend towards coworking um, that we didn't see any problems with that. We saw that in our own city. We saw that in cities around us. That wasn't slowing down. Um, there was a a company that uh, pumped really too hard um, and really got out of out of shape as a business Um, and that's really what happened with that so yeah i mean you know something we wanted to keep an eye on but none of us really had any hesitation or reservation about whether or not co-working was going to continue to be a thing it's pretty clear that that the move, basically the move to smaller footprints like there's a couple of things that you can control as a business right and that's uh at least from an expense perspective and that's like your people like your people cost your head count and your space right those are the two things that you have a lot of control over and otherwise like most of it's market driven after that right it's, you know you have varying levels of control but you have absolute control over how much space you buy or rent and how many people you hire and have to pay um <clears throat> and the trend that we saw and and was pretty pretty clear was that like. There's people that want to run their own business and they may have two or three employees and they don't need 5,000 square feet. They don't need 10,000 square feet. They need a small office or even just a hot desk situation where they can pay a couple hundred bucks a month and then go in and sit at a desk and get their work done. Um, so we, we didn't see any problems with that happening. Of course, COVID was, you know, its own thing. Um, <clears throat> but even, you know, post-COVID or, or nearly post-COVID, we're seeing a lot of that just roaring back. Yeah. Right.
0: I mean, the, I imagine the demand yeah. and I feel the same way to just like go work somewhere other than your own house is pretty high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So if, um, as you said, you made a lot of the mistakes on the first one. Let's move on to one that got launched much faster, I guess, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. list, yeah. Listed Kit, a whole lot faster. Yeah, listed kit <coughs> was uh, the two month MVP, as Andrew Orsich mm-hmm. wrote about. Um, on his yep. blog. So tell us about list and I guess, why was speed such a priority with that one? Speed is a priority with all yeah. startups.
1: Um, <clears throat> every minute that you don't have a product in somebody's hands is a minute that you're not learning. You're not generating um, customer loyalty and engagement. Um, you are burning money, right? Like it, co- it costs a lot of money to run a business, even if you don't have a product on the field. Um, so speed to market is just critical, right? Not just for list to Get for all of them. So the idea around uh, Listiket, uh or at least it, as it was built, this two-month MVP, we looked back at Coelho and said, God, that took, you know, four or five, six months to get out the door. That's just way too slow. We need to be scrappier. We need to move faster. And thankfully, Andrew was willing to work with us on that to develop a, a process and a system for that. <clears throat> um, so that was really, like, that was the impetus behind that. Um, and, and I can talk a little bit about more of, like, the product strategy, like, why that's important um, and how you accomplish that. Um, but ListedKit was the first run at that, and it was really successful. And even to this day, um, <clears throat> I think that the team, the parallel like, team on that product has been reduced, but the even the small team is moving really, really fast, which is just, it's paid dividends um, moving forward, which is really cool to watch.
0: Yeah, I guess just in terms of... The- the strategy, what, what were some of the main factors that allowed you to, to launch it so quickly? Um, did you, yeah. did you, how did you f- figure out what to leave on the chopping block floor, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah.
1: That's a really hard process. Um, so <clears throat> thankfully because, uh, because we do this for a living, we have a little less, now I won't say no, but we have a little less of an emotional attachment to things like scope, right? Feature scope. Um, uh, So what that process looks like is an agreement upfront. We want a two month MVP, right? We know we can only build so much in two months, right? So what is required is a really close relationship with our development partner. Right, so we had to work really, really closely with Parallact, with uh, with Roman and Anna on the team, uh, especially up front, to say like, you know, they would really push us hard and say, "Do we need this? Do we absolutely need this? How can we deliver the core piece of value for ListaKit in two months?" <clears throat> and that's kind of a it's kind of an uncomfortable process. There's a lot of negotiation, but you have to enter into that with the mental model of, "I need to get this into the market as fast as possible." you don't stop developing a product once you enter the market right so what do i absolutely need what do i have to have um at day one when I enter in the market, Um, and that needs to be the rubric that you use to decide what actually gets built. Now, from a technical perspective, I'm not technical, right? so I'm not a developer, Um, so I think Andrew and and the developers on the team would probably be able to speak to this better, but I think what is required is actually finding a tool stack, um, building as little as possible from scratch using a uh, a set of tools that you know you can rinse and repeat with that you get really comfortable with that you can move quickly with um and that allows you to get a lot of this stuff a lot of the development just the nuts and bolts of development done really really quickly um and right now so we've got another project uh uh, actually being built with parallax right now um and we're seeing the dividends of that i mean it's just like it's moving really, really well. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that helps answer the question, but really it, there's no like secret sauce. It's being willing to remove items from the scope and to not be emotionally attached to the items that are in the scope and to keep the frame of reference of, you know I need the minimum viable product, right? I need the smallest unit of value that I can, the absolute smallest unit of value that I can deliver to customers out of the gate. And I can build on top of that, but everything else is in service of that MVP.
0: Sure, yeah, and it makes sense. And uh, Andrew's written about this quite a bit, but it does seem like the team with the ship toolkit that we use for building products, is that's expanding. It's been expanding over this year as well, but they keep refining it and they keep seem to be getting faster and faster with this process, yeah. so, so good, good. Um, I guess with both ListedKit and Coelho and even uh, Theranest before that, Uh, the target market seems to be small to medium-sized businesses. Is this uh, a niche that that you guys saw was just underserved? Is there a reason that you don't build for enterprise or build mainly for startups?
1: So I'm a big fan of moving up market, right? So the goal for a startup is to find early traction. Um, And finding early traction with enterprise is pretty hard. It's not impossible. I mean, people have done it but it's pretty hard. Um, chances are there are <clears throat> customers a little further down market that are a little easier to sell into. Um, that also lends itself towards some of the trends in product development around like product-like growth, right? <clears throat> um, That's a really, it's a really trendy topic. I'm a big fan of it. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, But the idea there is that the product does a lot of the work of awareness and acquisition and engagement for you, right? Um, In order for that to work really well, you need some level of autonomy on the user's behalf to be able to get into the product and just start messing around with it, right? And again, the product is doing a lot of that lifting for you. Um, So that's going to be a lot harder in an enterprise situation, right? So the, the broader arc of this is we start with something that hopefully can be a product-led, um, a product-led uh, piece of software that we get an end user into, that we get a really good experience with. Uh, we might do some sales assist as well, especially in the business space, um, <clears throat> but that helps us acquire some of these users that are a little bit more flexible and can actually do that as a company grows, we start to get a sense of what an enterprise, like a higher sort of like a higher dollar value um, customer would want. And we're going to start moving our uh, product offerings in that direction. Um, But it's just a little bit easier to enter the market at the small and mid-sized level. It doesn't preclude enterprise products. It doesn't mean we won't ever build an enterprise product, but it certainly does um, allow us to find our early users and find our early traction a little bit easier.
0: That makes a lot of sense. All right. So mm. that was List Kit and Coelho. Now let's talk about a little bit more about focusing on founders and the cohort yeah. course app think according to LinkedIn, you've been there for almost two years. Uh, what's your journey been yeah. like? And I guess, why is it launching now and not, you know, two years yeah, ago? Not two years <laughs> <now>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a fun story. So, um, When I started my consulting firm, I this is a little different. A lot of people start consulting firms because they've had some successes and they know they can leverage that knowledge, that experience for, frankly, a lot of money. Right. Um, For me, it was learning. I started consulting because I I knew I wasn't going to go back to school. I knew that I had a deficit of of learning and understanding. So I charged much lower prices than a lot of consultants. And my goal was just to learn as much as possible about the craft that I was trying to get good at, Um, made it easier to sell um, into clients. Um, It just was, that was my strategy. It was a short-term strategy though, right? So that's something that It wasn't going to last for the long run and one of the things that i started to realize is that as a product manager right as someone who worked in product um, it was really not a great situation to be someone's contract product manager because that person on the team has so much um just institutional knowledge about the product and about the customer about what the like the voice of the user is a phrase that you hear a lot um and then when those engagements would roll off i would go and find another client. Or hopefully if I did my job right, I had somebody already in the hopper. But that oftentimes went with me, especially if that client was not willing to do the work alongside me, which happened a lot of times. And so um, you ended up in a situation where I would leave a project and someone would be like, I I don't know what to do. Help, help, help. Right. Um, Which was, you know, a hard learning experience for me. So I decided uh, just really, really, you know, at a high level, it's like it's it's a lot easier, or would be a lot easier, if I could teach these people how to do this. Right? I could teach founders how to do this work, so they could do it themselves, maintain all of that learning and experience throughout the process, and get their product off the ground. So um, <clears throat> that was the genesis of the idea for Apling. I have a very good friend here in Birmingham. They're actually he's actually literally my backyard neighbor. I can throw a rock into his backyard um and he has been working in product for years and years <clears throat> um so both a good friend and now a colleague i brought him into it and said hey i'm tired of working by myself do you want to build this with me um he's had a different experience i was working in zero to one he had actually done some scaling work and actually followed a, a company all the way through an acquisition and is now working with another startup um, so we brought different levels of experience and perspective to the table, um, and we put together the idea for Foundations, which is the first uh, first course that we put together for App AppThink. Um, <clears throat> yes, it's cohort-based because I think that people learning together and being able to have conversations about the struggles that they're uh, having either with what they're learning or with their own startups is really, really critical. Um, we did that through most of the pandemic, right? Nights and weekends kind of work, typical startup thing. And then, Dave got a big promotion, and I got the job at Harmony Venture Labs, both of which took all of the oxygen out of the room, right? right? said, yeah. you know, good luck uh, working on your startup when you're you know, you're at 60, 70 hours a week doing whatever, right? Um, so we thought we might actually table it, um, to be honest with you. But thankfully, Hunter um, <clears throat> was just really impressed with the work that we had done, and he brought the idea to Shagan and said, look, we want to engage our community. We want to provide a resource for people to help learn entrepreneurship and learn these early steps it would be a strategically wise acquisition to bring this into the family. Um, that way we can resource it. We can bring other people in to work on it and actually give it a chance at, at surviving and making the impact that it was hoping to make. So we got really, really lucky there. Um, Shagan was on board. <clears throat> we, uh, we, we did that acquisition. It's part of the HVL family now. Um, hired a CEO who's just wonderful. So Kelly Clark is actually leading it now and running it um, and doing just a a, just a very very good job. Uh, Dave and I serve as co-founders, advisors. I basically, when she says jump, I ask how high, whatever she needs from me, I do it. Um, so oftentimes, I'll be the face of things. So we'll hop on these kinds of calls and talk about Think and lead the workshops and the cohorts and things like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a really fun process. But that's why it took two years. It was nights and weekends, and then then it was we were both so busy that it was like impossible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It sounds like a, a really I guess, great, great way to validate the demand and then also a great way to bring it into HVL. Yeah, it was a a really
1: good place for it to land. We we were we were really fortunate. Yeah. All
0: right. Um, You already talked about cohort courses. So I guess uh, who's a good fit for the course? Where do what positions, I guess, uh, do most of your students come from?
1: So most of the students are folks with ideas and they don't know what to do with them, right? So the focus is on first time and non-technical founders. So that's sort of the the framework, right? The filter. Uh, I think it's valuable for anybody. If you've been a startup founder that didn't go well and you're asking yourself, why didn't it go well? Chances are what we teach in foundations will highlight some of the things that you maybe can consider trying uh, next time. Um, But especially for people that can't write code, right? They can't build their own product. Um, They've never done it before. So they're really jumping into just uh, totally unknown territory. Those are the folks that we really wanted to help with this. Um, Now, as we build, you know, part of the larger vision is to become the uh, sort of the resource, like the the mecca, if you will, for uh, for first time and non-technical founders. So we see it expanding into talking about things like marketing for zero to one startups, um, how to work with development partners, how to find um, a development partner, um talking about things like product management in depth, I mean, really, there's just so much content that's relevant to all startups, but really for these folks that don't have the skill sets that have never done it before, they really need a single place that's not scattered books, um, Udemy courses, YouTube, random podcasts. Like we want to create a space that is like a single location that people can go and get that learning. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I look forward to you you guys continuing to do that and building that space out. Um, Yeah. I guess... Is it mostly online and, and remote? Or are you guys sort of trying to run any cohorts locally? How does that look? Yeah.
1: You know, Birmingham for a company like AppThink, like Birmingham is bread and butter right now, but it's not going to be enough to scale it, yeah. right? Um, it's a little bit different. Like The the goal for something like AppThink is not necessarily to like scale it and have a huge exit, right? It's, it's more it helps us at HVL um, implement our mission, right? <clears throat> um, we want it to be a successful business but as it's not a software product its scalability is just it's a different can of worms right um but uh to date what we have done is online zoom like live zoom uh lectures right so we go through and walk through case studies and do exercises with everybody and then we have on-demand content that we uh we deliver via one of our partners um and that's something that like the basically the cadence looks like this you sign up for foundations uh, you get an intro and then a bu- a, just a tranche of content is released <clears throat> leading up to the first uh, live session right and we dive deeper into the subject matter that you consumed um, asynchronously right in those live sessions we do that five different times over two weeks so um, we do five different live sessions over two weeks and that covers everything from finding the idea to validating the idea and into some uh low or no code um, MVP ideas. So like ways to test that idea in the market that don't require you to pay a developer because most of those folks don't have the resources to put 50, 70, 100K into building a software product. We need to do something lower um, <clears throat> lower fidelity, quicker, and easier to get into the market. So, yeah.
0: Awesome, that makes a lot of sense and uh, sounds like it's going well so far. Uh, so you mentioned uh, fi- working with or finding uh, a development team as a founder. Uh, and yeah. since you guys and you yourself have been through the MVP process several times with Parallect here, uh, what advice are you giving to those founders about sort of working with the remote team Yeah or even working with Parallect, for example? Yeah. So how do you make it work? Yeah
1: so it's hard especially for first time and non-technical founders because uh, development engineers are, are a special special breed right uh, we all know that um, they're they're deeply technical they're deeply analytical um, they're tied a lot of their motivation is tied to progress and seeing like seeing success with what they're building you know we don't we don't want people to just like write lines of code arbitrarily um, <clears throat> we want them to be tied to the success the outcome that we're we're looking for and so one of the things that we teach is whether you have whether you go out and find a technical co-founder or if you work with a, an onshore development shop or you work with an offshore development shop like Parallel. what you need to do is treat these people as a as a part of the team you can't <clears throat> sequester them away from the learning during discovery um <clears throat> from what you're hearing from users they need to be connected at every step and stage of the process which can be pretty hard. I mean, to be honest, we don't even do as good a job as I'd like for us to with our parallax teams. I'd love for them to be able to be more connected to the discovery process and, and the customers themselves. Um, but we do as much as we can at the moment. And that's what we teach um, our founders is, you know, engineers really should not be hired guns, right? Development teams should not be mercenaries. They need to be a part of the team and connected to the customers and connected to the outcomes, the business outcomes that they're trying to drive. And that's how you know some of the most uh, interesting and innovative ideas for product, just like solution ideas, come from engineers being in the room and saying, hey, this is what I heard from customer X. And from my perspective as an engineer, as a technical person, this is something we could do, right? Uh, as someone who is non-technical, I oftentimes don't even have those ideas on my radar, right? Um, so it's just really, really valuable to have them in the room and connected to um, as much of the discovery process as possible. When there's an eight hour time difference, um, it's hard, right? It's hard to coordinate those things, but we try to do things like build um, <clears throat> interview snapshots and uh, things called opportunity solution trees, assets that we can share um, <clears throat> with the team that they can consume asynchronously, and even if they're not in the room for an interview per se. Um, but yeah, I hope that answers that question. I, I think the key is is to make sure they're connected to that discovery process as much as possible. Otherwise, you really just, you lose a lot of motivation and you don't get as good a quality work out of any
0: Right, yeah, and we're mm-hmm. constantly working on improving our, our the service that we offer around discovery and design and not just being hired guns and engineers. Um, yeah. I guess Andrew wrote a little bit from the engineering perspective about uh, how to be more efficient and he focused on doing sort of uh, recorded demos and things like that very frequently so that mm-hmm. you know, from the engineer to the product side, there was a lot of, of, of sharing of information. Yeah. All right. So uh, do you guys have any advice for our side then? Uh, Is there a way that we can make this MVP discovery and design and launch process better?
1: I'd love to, you know, it's, look, it's it's hard to work with distributed teams. We still haven't, no one's really figured out no one has the secret sauce for distributed teams so i think having a good faith partner is always a huge advantage because it basically says like look we know this is going to be bumpy and as long as you're willing to work with us we're willing to work with you um there are always bumps along the way but um i think you know the efforts to include um a more holistic development delivery process is, is is huge you know especially for somebody like the founders that we work with at App Think, you know, when they get to the point where they're ready to build, um, like actually with code, an MVP, um, having somebody like I, I will never forget the process of working with. Uh, uh, actually, I tell you, I'll tell you a personal story, um, <clears throat> which I'll just go ahead and like you know, uh, just admit that I was wrong. Right, uh, Andrew will love this. I fought for the longest time. I fought having. Um, a business analyst on our team right because it just was not clear like the value that it would provide and of course we're paying hourly and we got to be careful with the runway that we've got um and with ListiKit, we got anna um and on the team We said okay let's give this a run but i was skeptical um it was huge i mean it, it really changed the velocity of that project because you had somebody on the parallax side that was willing to take and able to take the requirements that we were proposing and not just say yes or no, but to break them down, explain them, get a deep understanding of them, research them, and then be that liaison between our team and the parallax uh, engineers. Right. And that really, you know, you know, it, it it made that process so much faster and so much smoother, um, so much so that I know that, like, when we started the project that we're working on now, <clears throat> I was told by our, EIR, our CEO of Listicate, you can't have Anna. Leave <laughs> really Anna on our habit, Right? Um, I was like, okay, cool. We can. Uh, we'll. We'll. We'll deal with that. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think that the process is is really improving, and it's you know it's been a pleasure. It hasn't always been. It honestly, like, there have been tense moments, but that's also good. I think that when we don't air uh, concerns or even grievances when something's like really bothering somebody, I don't think anybody's served well by that. So being honest and being uh, forthright, forthcoming, and, and but also in good faith, being willing to work through those things, I think is, is huge. and I think Paraleg does a good job of that.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, Andrew yeah. will love that story. And uh, hopefully everybody else will as well. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I had one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Oh, uh, the new product that's coming out. Is there any, any teasers that you want to share, willing to share, can share?
1: I'm not the CEO of that project. I don't want to divulge things that uh, they, they would not want me to divulge. But it's, I'll tell you this, it's really, um, I mean, it's actually, we've already got a, a LinkedIn page and everything set up. So it's called Xteli, um, <clears throat> and it is in the uh, process, documentation, and knowledge management space, right? So the, the big idea that, that kind of kicked this off is that as we move to a more distributed uh, form of work, it's uh, process documentation has always been a problem and knowledge management has always been a problem but it becomes even harder when you can't be in the room someone. you know when i'm in the hvl office so and so can walk over to me and say hey can you remind me of this and it's like pretty quick easy for me to just like walk them through it pull pull it up my computer and hand, just handle that right then and there but that's a lot harder when you're distributed right you got to arrange a zoom call you or hop on a slack huddle or something like that And we all know that's exhausting for people no one really loves that Um, So we're looking for better ways to help with documenting process that uh, can be self-service and also managing the knowledge that exists on Teams in a way that allows it to be distributed easily across functional areas. I mean, even getting into like customer enablement, like can we actually bring that to bear to help uh, customers be more successful with products? So that's kind of the general space that we're working in. I'm really excited about it. The EIR that we've got uh, uh, leading the charge and will be the CEO at launch. Um, it's just brilliant. We've really loved working with him. So we are all, uh, we're all really excited about this one.
0: Awesome. Well, look forward to seeing it go to market and checking it out maybe, uh, yeah. and reading about it as you guys launch and go through the launch process. Thank you so much for your time, Trevor. That's all the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: No, I, I have, uh, really enjoyed this process. Um, <clears throat> I've enjoyed meeting you, uh, my doppelganger at, uh, at Paralect. Um, I, uh, you know, if anybody out there has any big ideas um, and they want to build it with someone, come talk to me. Um, I'm always looking for, for really good ideas and, and more importantly, looking for really good founders um, that we can trust with these products to to build them and scale them. So,
0: yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, go check out, the, I believe you guys just relaunched a new design of the website, right? Yeah. yeah. Harmony, the website's brand new. HarmonyVentureLabs.com. Check it out. If you're local mm-hmm. to Birmingham or if you'd love to be local to Birmingham or... Anywhere in the U.S., I guess, you guys are probably open. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Trevor, and have a lovely Friday.